You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Their identity. And anyone that's not going to play with it will sit on the bench. So right now it looks like Pierre-Luc Dubois has not found that compete, that battle level. He has been on the bench since the last... All the four minutes of the first and all this period. So he is sitting right in the middle of the bench. Not to be a distraction, but he has been replaced on the power play. And Okay, that's the voice of John Forsland in the broadcast on Thursday night of the Tampa Bay Lightning Columbus Blue Jackets game. Braden Point with the OT winner. Real nice pass from Victor Hedman. But guess what, Elliot Friedman? That is not the story. Let's frame this podcast quickly. We recorded the podcast very early on Thursday morning. We're ready to release it. And then Tampa and Columbus happened. Specifically, Pierre-Luc Dubois and John Tortorella happened. Five shifts, three minutes and 55 seconds. He did not leave the bench in the second or the third. Come on, en français, as we say in French, qu'est-ce qui se passe? What's going on? So I was watching a bunch of the early games. I was paying a lot of attention to Winnipeg, Ottawa, obviously. And I was, I was looking at Boston and Philly too, which turned into an entertaining game. And then I started seeing on Twitter, uh, what was going on in Columbus, Tampa. And, you know, I went over there and I saw I didn't play the rest of the first period. And so what I did was I went back and I looked at, you know, some of his shifts. He only had, I think, five of them, five so it shifts. wasn't like it took a long time. And the last one, Jeff, it's pretty noticeable. And if anybody hasn't seen it yet, they come down the ice. Cam Atkinson is at the blue line. He's on the right side, and he flips the puck into the left corner where Dubois is going in there. And Dubois is there against Tyler Johnson, and he doesn't give it a fight. Johnson just muscles him off the puck. And uh, whoever the Tampa defenseman was, I can't remember, gets it up the ice. And that was the end of a 43-second shift. It was kind of a weird shift by Dubois because when he was in his own end, when he was kind of swinging down low for a breakout, he ran in, like, not ran into, but he, he touched legs with his own defenseman. Like, the whole thing was kind of weird. He just wasn't... Like, when I think about Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think of an animal on the ice. A guy who runs over people is a threat to just destroy bodies every time. Yeah. He's just not into it. Like, he's just not there. And I know Tortorella, you know, lots of people rip Tortorella. He's he's a target. And when I got the video of it, I sent it around to a few people, just around the league. And I said, what do you guys think? 
And I specifically sent it to a couple of people who I know don't like Tortorella. And, you know, they just said, you can't fault him for this one in particular. And it's a tough one. And if you saw Nick Felino's quotes from the end of the game too, he said, you know, so it's just disappointing not to get the result because a lot of guys gave it their all tonight and we still got to get some, some others on board and, and we have to find a way to, to win hockey games here. It's, uh, it's five games in now, so got to get going. I mean, I, my job is to worry about our game and how we're playing and I can't worry about who's not and who is. That's a, that's a coach's decision. So um, my job is to, to play for, with who the guys are that are out there. And The other one was... We've had our talks with Luke. We've, we, you know, he's one of us until told otherwise. We've said that out loud and that's, that's the way it is. So, like, it wasn't great ringing stuff. Mm-hmm. And look, like, everybody's waiting for the shoe to drop here. And we've talked about this, about it's a huge challenge for Kakalainen. It just became a bigger challenge tonight. It's very clear that. Dubois, I mean, you just had to watch that shift by Dubois. He doesn't want to be there. Tortorella, you know, if you give him that kind of an effort, he's not going to play you. And that's kind of where we are right now, Jeff. It's um, it's going to get really ugly. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Well, that becomes a question now. These two teams play again on Saturday. Uh, will Pierre-Luc Dubois be in the game? My question initially is, how much heat does this now kick upstairs to Yarmo Kekalainen? Is this John Tortorella saying, get him out of here? Or is it Pierre-Luc Dubois saying, get me out of here now? I definitely think it's still Dubois saying he wants to be out. Like, look, look we know he doesn't want to be there, right? And um, But he hang on, hang on. He, he was the same guy that said he was going to, you know, perform to the best of my abilities, etc. I'm paraphrasing at the beginning of the season when the report came out that he had requested a trade, you know, professionalism, do my job, all these things. All the things you would expect a hockey player to say, which flies right in the face of what we saw on Thursday night, though. My personal belief is that he's under the impression that he felt that Columbus would move to move him. That it wouldn't last. And now it's pretty clear Kekalainen's in no hurry, and that really bothers Dubois. Jeff, I've used this line before. There's plenty of time in our business where we hate our bosses. Right? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And we don't feel like going to work for them. Like, I've had times in my career where I've said, I cannot believe I'm working for this person and I don't feel like working for them tonight. But at the end of the day, I think two things. Number one, it's my reputation that's on the line. And number two, you know, I've got teammates who depend on me. And I think everybody can have a bad night. We're human. Not everybody's going to be great for 82 games. I'm curious to see where this goes. Do the Blue Jackets just say, screw it, we're trading him? Or do they say, you know what? We can't accept that. And it makes us harder to trade you. And if you want to get traded, you're going to have to play better than that. Or does he say, that's it? I'm not doing this anymore. Or does someone close to Dubois say, you know, Pierre-Luc, you can't do that. Like, all I know is I only judge other people by the way I judge myself, Jeff. That's it. I never believe in judging anyone else aside from how I judge myself. And if I was to have a show like that, and I've had bad shows before, 
where I didn't feel I gave it my all, I wouldn't let it happen again. I just wouldn't. I think that that's your reputation and the reputation. You can drag your teammates down on TV, never mind in a game Mm -hmm. if you perform like that. I I just wouldn't let it happen to myself again. So a lot of this and the John Tortorella quotes. Like, do you think I'm wrong on that? In what sense? That you have responsibility to your teammates and responsibility to yourself, regardless of how you feel about management or that team? Yes. Yeah, ultimately, this is how you want to present and represent yourself. There are always mitigating factors, however. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm with you, and I don't know that we have a clear picture of what has happened in Columbus. Mm -hmm. To the point where... After we talked about it on the podcast, and you've mentioned it in a couple of different places, I got a note from someone who works in the industry who said, I heard your podcast and I did just what I'm not going to give you any details. I'm not going to say anything, but you're right. There's more to this story. Well, first of all, I just want to say, I think it's lame that he or she is not going to give us any more details. <laughs> Trust me, I pushed too and I poked and I prodded, but got, but got nothing. But and this is a person who even said themselves, I know more of the story. You guys are on the right track. You're pointed in the right direction, but we may never know the complete story, but there's more to this than just someone that just wants out. And I don't know that we'll ever know it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the dynamic is with Dubois and well, the relationship with the coach is certainly strained or Dubois and management or Dubois and teammates or Dubois and the city of Columbus. I don't know. So on the one hand, I want to come down and say, I mean, you're dressing for the game. There's a responsibility that you have to yourself and your teammates, but I don't know all the relationships here. I don't know the dynamics. I don't know what's gone on. I just don't know. So normally, Fridge, I'd agree with you 100%, but I don't know that we have the full snapshot of what's gone on. And someone said to me tonight, do you think that other teams won't want to trade for him? And I don't believe that. I think other teams will look at it and say, oh, once he gets somewhere else, he's going to play hard for us. Yeah, we've seen that from Dubois before. Yeah, like It's funny because I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, okay, is the asset now become depressed? And then I thought to myself, well, give your head a shake, Merrick. Like everyone's seen Pierre-Luc Dubois play. Mm-hmm. This is clearly a stressed situation right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that any team's going to look at this and say, Psh, you know what? Uh, I was going to throw in a second rounder, but that's now a fourth. I don't think anyone's going to be doing that on Pierre-Luc Dubois, even though it didn't look good. Wow. That was really something to watch. And Hang on. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. How much of this was from John Tortorella's point of view? Because let's not forget, it was like five minutes ago when Tortorella said, you'll know when I bench someone. This does seem spontaneous. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois went out there for five shifts. And after uh, the shift that you highlighted, that was it. And he's grabbing some pine. How much of this was spontaneous versus planned? And I'm not saying that John Tortorella went into this game and said, I'm going to stick it to Pierre-Luc Dubois. This game's on national television. We're facing off against the Stanley Cup champions. And no, I'm going to show. I, no, hang on, I, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't hang on. believe that. Hang on. I'm not saying that he did that, but the idea of sitting him down for a couple of periods when he sees some soft play. Like, 
from John Tortorella's point of view. A, did he deserve to be sat? Absolutely. For that length, that's up to the coach and his relationship with that player and his relationship with that team. Spontaneous but planned in a sense that when he was going to sit Pierre-Luc Dubois down, he was really going to sit Pierre-Luc Dubois down and everybody was going to know it. No. I Look, I, I don't think Tortorella is that complicated a guy. I don't think he's that kind of a thinker. I think he's just, are you playing hard for me? Yes, you play. Are you not playing hard for me? You don't play. I think it's that simple. I don't think he's a really complicated person. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois not talking on Thursday after the game. Any surprise there? I don't know him that well to know. I know Columbus is a really good PR staff. Like those people are good people there. I guess I can't say I'm really surprised. I've watched a couple of his Zoom media conferences and it's pretty obvious he doesn't enjoy talking about the whole situation. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm probably not surprised. It'll be interesting to see if he talks at all on uh, on Friday. After practice. After practice. Before the game. Because they did say they were going to try to talk to see if he would talk on Friday. Again, Columbus is a source of eyebrow raising, and we'll see what happens Saturday as these two teams face off against each other again. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. Elliot, for the first time in I don't even know when and can't even remember when, we're going to do some hashtag Ask31s. It's been too long, and we did have some questions about when we're going to get the next Word Association podcast. And to uh, quell all your fears, we are going to do that. That is on the horizon because Elliot promised it. So we're going to get to some hashtag Ask31s. But first, the story of the week so far uh, around the NHL, outside of all the action we've seen on the ice and some relative intrigue off of it, uh, has been the COVID situation with two teams specifically, the Carolina Hurricanes and most recently the Washington Capitals, who as an organization were fined $100,000 for breaking COVID protocols. Your thoughts when you first heard the Washington news? No question the NHL was looking to set an example on someone if they had to. You know, I heard a lot of uh, comments and I had a lot of people tweet at me as this was breaking on Wednesday night about, you know, hey, they're next to each other on the bench. They're celebrating goals together. Someone actually sent me a photo of Ovechkin and Kuznetsov in a goal hug. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand all that. And certainly from a purely logical point of view, you're looking at that and you're saying, wait a sec, how does that make any sense? Here's what happened. Peter Laviolette at their post-practice media availability on Thursday confirmed the rumor that the four players, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Orlov, and Samsonov, had been together in the same hotel room. Those are four big pieces for us and important pieces. They'll be missed. And, you know, it's a difficult thing. We totally understand why the rules are in place. We want to be compliant. And we made a mistake and, you know, we need to do a better job. And even I made a mistake, you know, I, I dropped my mask. It was out there, you know, at the end of the game, at the end of the post game in this, in the celebration, like I've got to do a better job too. It's a learning lesson for everybody because it is real stuff that we're talking about. We don't take it lightly. And 
when you make a mistake, you know, it can be costly. So um, we met with the team today. You know, I talked to Alex a couple times yesterday. We texted, um, I texted a group of players that um, are now in quarantine and held a meeting with the players today to continue to work to try and get better. But we do wear our masks. We do put them on. We try to remember it all the time and we're trying to do a good job and we can be better. And that's the, that's the message. Now, if you read the league's travel protocols, which are public, you can find them. Each member of a team has to have their own room and you can't get together in it. Correct. The only other people that can come into your room are housekeeping staff or people that need to fix anything in your room. And they can only come in when you're not there. So you can't have a group meeting. And what happened was, I guess they were all in the same room, whether they were playing video games or watching UFC or whatever they were doing. And one of the players, reportedly Samsonov, tested positive. So they asked him who he'd been around, especially in non-game or practice or travel situations. And, you know, that's what came up. You know, I think the one thing that's kind of frustrating to everybody here is there's also something else in the protocols that the teams, if they can do it, and the Capitals, from what I understand, did do it, Mm -hmm. is there's like a general dedicated common area slash lounge at these hotels that are bigger, have more room, you can socially distance, and whatever they were doing, they could have done it there. And if that had happened, there wouldn't have been a penalty. Now, I know some of the Capitals and their fans, and if you saw the Instagram post from Ovechkin's wife, who was extremely upset, and the thing that stood out to me was that she published her post in both Russian and English, criticizing uh, the penalty. Hmm. I mean, she wanted to make sure that nobody mistook or misinterpreted what she was saying is that they're sitting on the bench, they're traveling together, they celebrate goals together. You know, what's the big difference with, you know, the hotel room? And I understand that point of view. I think, though, what we've got here is that the league is trying to get San Jose back to San Jose. Mm -hmm. They're on the road now. They're hoping maybe February 1st, but there's no guarantee. And we've talked about it on the podcast, how the Sharks players are understandably not pleased about this. It's a very difficult situation for them. And the league is worried if it gets out that they're not enforcing their protocols, that governments won't let them, for example, put the Sharks back in California. In Canada, if you're not familiar There's lockdowns going on and these teams are allowed to play in certain situations where, you know, there would be a lockdown or they'd have to get a quarantine for crossing provincial lines and they've gotten waivers and approvals from the governments to avoid all that. Correct. And they're concerned that if it's found out that they didn't crack down on their rules, governments would say, you're not taking this seriously enough. So they felt they had no choice but they had to make an example out of it. Obviously, the Capitals players aren't happy. I'm sure the Capitals aren't happy with the whole situation because now they're shorthanded. And, you know, one fan, a Capitals fan, his Twitter handle is uh, Chip Tamblin, 
you know, he asked me on Twitter, well, how come, you know, Carolina's got, you know, five guys and their games are canceled and, you know, Dallas had 17 guys and their games are canceled. How come the Capitals have to play? And, you know, the league is, doesn't come right out and say, but this is what you can kind of figure. As far as we know right now, there's only one positive test, Samsonov. It was revealed in the Instagram post that Ovechkin and Orlov both have the antibodies. I think it comes down to your number of positive tests. That's what it comes down to. You know, the league won't say that, but you, if you're paying attention, you can figure it out. If you have a lot of positive tests, you're getting shut down. If you have a minimum amount of positive tests and a bunch of contact tracing situations, which is what it appears to be right now with the Capitals, no cancellations. Although anything can change. As we always say, Jeff, what's true now might not be true in 10 minutes. In the course of your conversations, your texts and your phone calls on Wednesday night after this news broke about the Washington Capitals, on a scale of one to approaching the sun, how hot was Washington about this one? I just thought it was really interesting that their statement used the word disappointed in it, right? Any parent knows how powerful that word is. So I think they were annoyed. I'm sure there's some frustration because, I mean, everybody is kind of short-fused right now, right? It's very difficult circumstances to yeah. live, whether you're a pro athlete or not. It's very stressful. But the fact that the word disappointed was in the statement, mm -hmm. it says to me that, you know, that's everything you needed to know there. It's a short season. You can't afford to lose players. And I'm sure if you're one of those four guys, it's not easy to have your name put out there like that. It's, you know, nobody wants that publicly. Nobody wants to be, you know, shamed in any particular kind of way or, or tied into it. So Ovechkin comes out with the apology. The team comes out with the note about being disappointed, as you mentioned. Considering Alex Ovechkin is, and always has been since he joined the NHL, the face of the franchise, the captain of the team, there's always been that belief that, you know, what Ovi wants, Ovi gets, you know, Ted Leonces, even at various times, has said, listen, even if, you know, NHLers aren't going to the Olympics, you remember this one, Elliot, I will let Ovechkin go. Like, that's the sort of stroke that he has in that organization. He's also in a contract year uh, with the team. Does this in any way, shape, or form, in your opinion, change his standing with the Washington Capitals. We're talking about four guys in a hotel room. One of them is the captain. No, I can't see that. I mean, I'm sure that they'll say to him, you know, you can't do that again. And anyone look at that statement, it's not kind of the way you could see Ovechkin saying it. You know, I'm sure he's not thrilled this morning. Nobody would like that. But they've had an incredibly mutually beneficial 15-year partnership. Do you think this is going to change that? No, no way. Not a chance. He's the franchise, and they know it, and he's done far, 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 far more good than anything negative for that organization. Do you think this is a... We can start an argument on this podcast. I think that there is an argument that Ovechkin is one of the most influential players and people in the history of the National Hockey League. 
never mind best player, because I think he's on that list too, like top five, but influential. Is there a player in the NHL's history that has meant more to a franchise than Ovechkin has to Washington? How long do you want to give me to think about this? Hold on. Like Gretzky to me is in another class because there's a whole bunch of teams that are in the league because of Wayne Gretzky. Well, Mario comes to mind right away, not just because of what he did on the ice, but how he saved the franchise twice. I would put Mario there. Yeah. Is Ovi third? I would put Steve Eiserman in that conversation. Let's not forget when the Illich family bought the Detroit Red Wings, there were, well, they were A, they were a bad team. B, you know, the Illich family had to offer because they couldn't necessarily pay a coach's going rate, had to offer, you know, Little Caesar franchises to supplement coaching salaries, had to give away cars just to get people in the building, just to get them to go to games. I would put Ovechkin ahead of Iserman, though, but it's fair. Iserman comes in, and that was the player they ended up building the entire thing around. Mm -hmm. It's a great on-the-spot question, and those are the two that come to my mind right away. Mm -hmm. But I would have to think historically more about it. But yes, Ovechkin with, with the Washington Capitals... Off the cuff, yeah, right away he's going to be in your top three, top five. Most important players to a franchise. You see, the thing I would say about Iserman is at least the Red Wings had a history. I agree with your general thesis that they were down, no question about it. And I think the other thing to look at, and we're really going off on a tangent here, but that's okay. Iserman and Ovechkin both benefited from very strong ownership. The Illiches were obviously very committed to the Red Wings. Yeah. And Ted Leonsis is obviously very committed to the Capitals. I'll tell you something else, too. When this is all over with the Washington football team and the ownership struggle that's there, I wouldn't be surprised if Ted Leonsis owns the NFL team, too. Oh, why do you say that? Well, just because if you look at it, you know, there's a big legal mess with Daniel Snyder right now. He's had a horrible time running that football club. Look, Leonsis has a great name there. Uh, he's done incredible work with the Capitals and the Wizards. You know, the Wizards have not done what he hoped for them to do, but they're definitely stable ownership. I could see it. If you told me that he would be the next owner of the football team when this is all cleared up, I could totally see it. Anyway, we're going way off on tangents, but I can't see how this in any way affects Ovechkin's relationship with the team, although I'm sure he's not thrilled today. Was this a, from around the league as well? I mean, everybody saw this news and everybody sort of stood back and whoa, that is a $100,000 team finally. Is this a snap to attention moment? I know we're only a week into the season, but is this a snap to attention moment for all 30 other teams around the NHL? Well, I think that that's kind of what the league wants, right? Like, look, like Dallas hasn't played yet as we record this podcast. Carolina is on a COVID timeout. Florida has had four games canceled. And already, if you look at the footprint, the schedule footprint for the season, it's compressing. You're already looking at this and you're saying, how are they going to make up all these games that are getting canceled when you take a look at what 
the overall timeline is. You know what? Like I used to be a camp counselor, okay? And being a camp counselor in the late 80s and early 90s is much different than being one today. I'll say that. And one of the things they always told us was if you have someone who you think is going to be a problem or you have a situation which you think is going to be a problem, and this is a situation, not a someone, you have to lay down the law early and show everybody you mean business. It's like parenting, right, Jeff? Like when TJ and Brody act up, do you do you come down early and say, I'm going to show you that this is going to be a problem? Or do you let it fester and then all of a sudden try to rein it back in? Option A, if you're not a parent or a camp counselor, option A is always better. And that way, everybody sees this today. And like, if you take a look at teams like the Raiders or the Saints and the NFL that had multiple violations, they started losing draft picks and the fines got bigger. It's a warning. It's a shot across the bow. Do we know what contingency, if anything, there is if a team, and again, this is worst, worst case scenario. Do we know what the contingency is if a team can't finish the season? Well, we do know that there's something that says that uh, they've come out and they said if, if people don't play the same amount of games, it comes down to points percentage for the playoffs. What have we learned about the NHL? It's that if they don't have to tell us something, they won't tell us something. Because then it becomes we're all watching for this, right? And the one thing about Batman is, I do believe this in this particular case, when it comes to games getting canceled, it's up to the doctors. He's being told what to do. Ultimately, he has the final decision, but I think he's just listening to the medicine on it. Like, I don't think they're guessing about where if a team has one guy on a COVID list and everybody else is playing, I don't think he's just making that up as he's going along. I think that he's checking it with his medical officials and they're saying, do this, do that. See, a couple of things I wonder about here with um, with the postponement of games and they're going to tack them on when they can fit them into the schedule. We saw a game on Wednesday night between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers where two teams looked exhausted and were a week into the season. They looked flat out tired these guys have played a lot of hockey games i know in the cba you're not allowed to play three games in three nights with the volume of games that you know a week in we're already looking at tacking on somewhere at the end squeezing a game here and there are we in a situation where this may start to look like an AHL schedule where you know you go to the pa and you say look the only way we can do this is if we do three games in three nights like, do you think we'll get to that point in the NHL? I don't know, but I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't think those conversations haven't already happened between the league and the Players Association. Like, there's no way, Jeff, they haven't discussed this already. No way. For sure. And you can understand the pushback from the Players Association. Yes and no. I, I could see pushback, but you know what I could see it coming down to is, do these games matter? You know, for example, in baseball, there have been times in history where rainouts have had to be made up at the end of the year. And if they matter in the pennant races, they get made up. And if they don't, they don't. Mm-hmm. Like, could that be a situation? Like, let's just say, okay, the seventh and the eighth place teams in one division, you know, miss a game. 
are you going to rush to make that up if they if both teams have no chances to make the playoffs? Okay. Even though during the lockouts I play one on television, I'm not an actuary. But I wonder about, you know, completely scrubbing games and how the Players Association feels about that due to pension issues. Oh, that's a fair question. The thresholds for certain levels of compensation for your pension. Like once upon a time, what was the magic number? Was it 300 or 400? 400. 400 for full pension. Uh, that used to be the one like, oh man, you gotta, you gotta get the 400. Then you get your full pension and guys just coming short. Oh, like last podcast, we talked about getting close to a thousand games for that number. The number used to be like for the players, like, okay, man, get to your 400. Then you get your full pension. So if you're the players association, you hear the NHL talking about completely scrubbing games. Do you say to yourself, hold on a second here. This is keeping players from get again. I'm not an actuary, so I don't know, but does that keep people artificially away from their full pensions? I don't know the answer to that. Do you? It's a great question. It's a good point. You know, one of the things that's kind of happened, and again, I'm talking out of my butt here. I don't know. I'm just wondering out loud, and I'm sure at some point someone will tell me if I'm right or wrong. But if you take a look at everything this year, everything's prorated, right? Like bonuses, things like that. I wonder if that would be part of it too. That's a more esoteric question. But the big picture question I'm wondering is, do these games matter? I think we have a new header for the uh, podcast. Uh, Welcome to 31 Thoughts. I'm talking out of my butt. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to the podcast. This is 31 Thoughts, the podcast brought to you by the GMC Sierra AT4. again for Detroit offensively. They win the draw and they score! Bobby Ryan! Wow. Talk about Johnny on the spot. My goodness. Boy, oh boy, does Bobby Ryan know how to find the back of the net? Elliot, how many times on this podcast have we said, even if you don't cheer for teams, you can always cheer for players. Even if it's on a rival team, even if it's on a team you have no time for, you should always make time to cheer for people. I just want to put this out there and not ask a specific question around it, but just say the name to you, Bobby Ryan. Oh, how can you not be happy for him? I was watching their game against Columbus the other night when he scored and the font came up and it said the first Red Wing ever to score four goals in his first three games with the team. Yeah. I would have figured of all their great players in their history that that wouldn't have been the case. <laughs> I, I actually stopped the screen. I don't like to interrupt Ken Daniels when he's really going, like, you know, Ken with his melodic voice and things like that. But I actually had to stop the screen to check that and say, wow, like I, I can't believe that that would be the case. You figure, you know, all the great players they've had in their history, someone would have done it. But look, there's people you root for. And Bobby Ryan is definitely one of those people. And I do believe that a change of scenery can benefit everybody, player, organization, you name it, family. And sometimes somebody needs a new start. And, uh, you know, that Detroit team, the number one thing I notice is, and this is, this is what I think was Steve Eiserman's goal 
it's not about, you know, challenging for first place in the central division, but it's about being more competitive. It's about telling your players it's not, especially your young players, it's not acceptable to lose. You have to compete as hard as you can. And if you've watched their early games so far this year, they're really competing. They they gave Carolina a lot of trouble. They've given Columbus a lot of trouble. They've shown up to play this year. And that is the goal that the Red Wings had. And and Ryan's obviously a big part of that. You know, you look at a team like that and you always think, okay, just let this team stay in games as long as you can. And it helps when you have a net minder and it helps when you have a blue line that can get the puck to the forwards. And I know they've been, they, those have been a couple of challenging spots um, for the Detroit Red Wings, but I'm with you. Like when you look at all those, you know, look, look at the young players that they're bringing in. I think they've done a really good job of having veteran players around these kids. So you're not just handing out gigs. You're not just handing out spots. Yeah. I think the best thing you can hope for on a day-to-day basis is these kids get to play a full three periods. And by that, I mean, you know, the game isn't over halfway through the game. Like you're not getting blown out six to two going into the third period where, okay, we're just have to go through the motions and play, you know, an empty calorie 20 minutes here. And so far, like to your point, we're seeing that with Detroit. I always, I always look to that when, when you're looking at teams, like at what point, and I'll use the Oilers as an example with, you know, when they had uh, Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Jordan Eberle, like that crew, you say to yourself, you know, what are we really learning about these players? Or what are these young players really learning when, A, you don't have a defense that can get the forwards the puck. B, you're out of games by the time, you know, the midpoint of the second period rolls around. And C, you're out of the playoffs by Christmas. Like, if you want to talk about not giving your kids a chance to succeed or grow, that was it. Like, that era of Euler really should be a case study for other teams around the NHL of how not to do it and how you can hurt development of players by not putting them in a situation where you get to feel what a real three periods feels like in the NHL. I'm not even going to tell you how that you're talking out of your butt. Like that's a great statement. That's the new theme for the podcast. Um, by the way, I want to talk about pucks. Okay. I want to talk about the, uh, the puck tracking pucks and uh, the recall of puck tracking pucks. What happened here? What happened here is that I'm not sure if they weren't freezing properly or the sheen was a problem. I've heard both theories, but on Saturday night, you know, and Ron's a guy who always really talks about the ice. Like he's very in tune towards that. This is Ron McLean, Ron McLean. Yes. So he was watching one of the games and he was saying, you know, shouldn't the ice be good? Cause there's nobody, you know, playing in these buildings aside from the hockey teams in Canada. Yeah. And, you know, I was looking at it and I said, that's pretty weird. And now we notice it isn't the ice, it it was the pucks. And, um, you know, it's really unfortunate. This has been a long process and probably a more difficult process for the NHL than they wanted or hoped. But, you know, right now, basically they weren't working effectively. And like I said, I heard one version that they weren't freezing properly. I heard another version that the sheen wasn't good enough, but it's, you know, it's kind of back to the drawing board at this point in time. You know, that's an interesting point about the rinks too. That, um, I mean, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. One of the great, (laughs) one of the great arguments is always between the general manager and the team president and the coach and the players over the thermometer. 
if your job depends on what happens on the ice, you want that ice to be the best it can possibly be. And that generally means a pretty cold rink. Mm -hmm. But if you're in the business of selling tickets and you want your fan base to be comfortable, I don't know that you want them all coming in in parkas. Like the thermometer discussion is a fascinating one. You know who was really big into that? Where does that get set? Who's that? Darcy Regeer. Really? How so? I used to like having conversations with Darcy Regeer about ideas. Mm-hmm. Because years ago, GMs told me that Darcy Regeer would always come up with just crazy wild ideas for making the game better and things like that. And just things that they should try. Like he was one of the people who came up with the goalpost idea, right? Either the the smaller goalposts or the goalposts that curved inward so there was a better chance it would go off the post and in, right? Was, was that, was that, hang on, we can pause on one. Was that Darcy Regeer? We're talking about the Buffalo Sabres here for the, the uninitiated and acquainted here. Yeah. Was that Darcy Regeer or was that Larry Quinn or a combination of the two? Because I remember that, like the rounded, the rounded edges to give you more room to shoot up high. Well, it was Buffalo, and Regeer was in the middle of a lot of that stuff. Okay. Like, I'll tell you another one. When they first put the netting up, the safety netting, he proposed it be like arena football, that if the puck hit the netting, it was live. Yeah, I like that. Well, here's here's the reason it didn't happen, okay? Because mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, too. And then what they were worried about was and maybe that wouldn't be as much of a factor now as it, as it was back then was guys would be flipping the puck off the netting and while a defenseman was waiting to for it to come down oh. <laughs> guys would be timing their hits to kill them so hang on so can you have then a uh, like a fair catch in uh, with for defenseman underneath the Do you underneath really the want that <laughs> no I, elliot um, you take everything that i say seriously Trust me. Because you come up with some terrible ideas. No, I come up with great ideas. You just I'm just misunderstood in my own generation. That's right. it's genius not recognized. Posthumously, I'm gonna be brilliant. Right now, I'm just in the village <laughs> idiots. Well, you know, interesting just as a side note too, with those nets, so Darcy Regeer, Larry Quinn, and Buffalo, by the way, again, Elliot, and I know you hate me talking about that. They were the ones that experimented with the different color ice in that Rochester versus St. John's game during the lockout of two thousand five. But the nets with the um that were bigger up top and rounded. And I think you can probably see this on uh, on Google Images somewhere. When I first saw it, the thinking behind it was, this is you know when all the goaltenders started to go down and seal up the bottom of the net. The idea was give the shooters something to look at, something to shoot at. So if the goalies are going to go down, give them something to shoot high. And it makes sense philosophically until I remember I spoke with one player specifically about it who said, and this is a player that you know made his living essentially standing in front of the net, and he brought up a great point. He said, we should be doing the opposite. If anything, you should make the nets bigger down low. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I stand in front of the net. There's a lot of people that stand in front of the net. We should not be encouraging pucks to go higher around the net. If anything, we should be encouraging pucks to stay low. So now whenever I see this idea of, you know, making, I remember there, cause there were a couple of people afterwards that mentioned, let's make the nets higher. If we're not going to make them wider, let's make them higher and give teams more to shoot at. I always thought about that, about trying to keep the puck as low as possible around the net. And I think that's probably why those Larry Quinn, Darcy Regeer nets never really took off. And we just, you know, stuck with the nets that we have now, which I guess historically we go back and are the Art Ross nets. 
We still have the Art Ross puck, which is why we should probably have a history podcast and talk about these types of things. I don't know how we got off on this tangent, but <laughs> the reason we brought up Darcy Regeer is Regeer was a guy, we're talking about temperature in the arenas. Yeah. He talked about exactly that, what you mentioned earlier, which was you shouldn't in June have people coming to, or May, coming to the rink when it's warm outside and they have to wear parkas inside. And what he wanted to do, and I don't know where this went, I should find him and ask him, is he wanted synthetic ice. He wanted to create synthetic ice. And he said, look, like how much money would we save on just general maintenance and upkeep if there was effective synthetic ice? And I don't know where this ever went, and I don't even know if it would work, to be perfectly honest. But that was a conversation I had with him. Jeez, it's got to be close to a decade ago. Yeah. Listen, a lot of hockey trainers will use synthetic ice as rinks closed around North America. Uh, a lot of players, a lot of parents for their kids uh, were buying synthetic ice. It's been a great training surface uh, for a lot of people as well. I, I've, I've wondered that question before too, Elliot. And really what it hints at is what is sacred in the game and what is hockey? Like, it sounds like a stupid question, but of course there's got to be a puck and there's got to be a, a couple of nets. But after that, the question is, how integral is ice to your experience of what hockey is? And would it still be hockey if it was played on a different surface as long as there were still skates? Because I think there'd be a huge pushback if you got rid of ice. Like to me, that is, again, to me, it's part of the charm. I think for other people, it's part of the charm. I think others would look at it and say, well, as long as you can skate on it and replicate the feeling uh, uh, of ice and replicate what the puck does on ice, but on a synthetic surface, what's the problem here? It would make intermissions quicker. Uh, you wouldn't need, you know, ice resurfacers anymore. But it does hint to the question, what is hockey and how integral is ice? You have a thought on that? It's interesting. I mean, it all comes down to, do we ever get to a point where this could happen? We've really gone down a wormhole. <laughs> Listen, we both worked late last night. We're a little bit punchy right now. So we're just going down goofy wormholes. Let me get it back to the NHL right now. <laughs> Um, well, you mentioned Buffalo and you mentioned Darcy Regeer. Do you have a thought on a weekend, what we've seen? Because I like it. What we've seen with Taylor Hall and the Buffalo Sabres, specifically in that bumper position in front of the net. And he's, you know, he had a really interesting quote, Hall did. Uh, and he's scored from there. He scored on the you know uh, opening night for the Buffalo Sabres against the Washington Capitals from that bumper spot. Nice pass from Olafson. Everyone thinks he's going to shoot over to Taylor Hall and he scores. And Hall's quote is, I've never played this spot before on the power play all i do is think about what i would want someone to do in that position if i were playing on the wall do you have a thought on the sabers and specifically what you've seen with taylor hall and the buffalo sabers so far i think they've played pretty hard to be perfectly honest the one thing i think about the sabers is i can see the frustration growing there with the some of the injuries they've had yeah ralph krueger who's not really much of a complainer he try, tries to always keep it positive. If you've been watching what he's been saying lately, you can see his frustration really growing with Delane got knocked out of a game. He didn't like the play. Stahl got knocked out of a game. He didn't like the play. 
And I know there were a few people who didn't like that play. But, you know, Stahl came back the next time. Delene came back the next time. Carter Hutton got hurt. They didn't like that play either. You know, they, there hasn't been any supplementary discipline out of any of those things, but I understand the frustration of seeing this happen to you several different times. And even if you lose these players for half a game or quarter of a game, it is significant. And it's a short season. You can't afford this. You know, there's enough. You're battling already. Um, that's the one thing I've noticed the most about Buffalo is that Kruger, who publicly is never a complainer, is really upset. And he's doing not so slow a burn about it. We're a week in, a week in change. Do you have any takeaways from what we've seen so far? Or do you look at this and say, you know, it's really unfair to make any any generalizations about teams or players because this is just a one-week slice into the season? You know, generally, I don't worry about Boston. I just think their culture is too good. I've really been impressed with Jersey. How about Jack Hughes the other night against the Rangers going off? Two yeah. plus one. You always... You know, you look for the story within the story in the game within the game, you know, back-to-back first overall draft picks going head-to-head, Jack Hughes and Alexi Lafreniere. And I think we talked about Hughes in one of our preseason podcasts, you know, putting on muscle, you know, learning from a disappointing rookie season and talking about a team that plays hard and has faced adversity and injuries and retirements and rebuilds. And they're doing it all without Nico Heischer. I like New Jersey. I'm with you. I do too. I, I think they've really played well. You know who I think has played really well is is Miles Wood. He had one bad play in overtime against uh, Boston in the second game, but he hot, he busted his ass right down the ice to cover up for it. You know, last year, Miles Wood was a guy they put on the block they weren't happy with, mm-hmm. but he's too talented and, you know, there aren't a lot of guys like him and, and he looks, you know, in new season, new start. And he looks really good. I, I've liked New Jersey early. You know, I like Lindy Ruff too. I've, he's a guy I've dealt with a lot you know, living in Toronto and he coached Buffalo for all those years. I didn't like some of the reaction when he got hired. He gets kind of painted with the old school brush. I don't think he is. I think he's a guy who's adaptable to the times. The other team I'm looking at is how good is Vegas? How good is Mark Stone? They look really good. You know, the only thing is, and this isn't their fault, you can only beat the teams on their schedule. You know, they're opening up with uh, two against uh, Anaheim and four in a row against Arizona, right? Yeah. All you can do is beat the teams in their schedule and they're four and oh, and they've been down in games they've come back. They've been up in games they've come back. They're throwing Leonard and Flurry out back to back every game. They get their first real test next week when uh, St. Louis comes to town next uh, Tuesday and Thursday. But, you know, the early returns are, they look really good. Boston, like I said, Boston, I generally don't worry about them because I think their culture is great. But, you know, they didn't have a five-on-five goal in their first two games. That's, you know, one thing I kind of look for there. You know, the team that, you know, Chicago. Like, I think we all knew what this year was going to be. It's going to be a long long year in Chicago and I think you worry there and I think this could happen to any team not just potentially the Blackhawks but I think you worry there like when these teams start to fall off I know there's organizations worried that because of the stresses of playing during COVID Mm -hmm. that 
the players just aren't going to have the intensity, the desire that, you know, you, you need to win. So I'm really curious to see, you know, how that one's going to go in Chicago. It looks like it's just going to be a really brutal year for them. Uh, really quick, getting back to, and I think we're all on the same page uh, about the Blackhawks. Again, no one's going to feel bad for them as we all look at their Stanley Cup rings and future, hey, future Hall of Fame players. Jeff. But this is going to be a bad season, man. If I was a Blackhawk player, executive, or fan, or whatever, and you told me this would be the trade-off for three cup rings in five years. Take it all day. I take it a thousand times out of a thousand. Take it all day. I want to go back to your point about Vegas. And I know the schedule is the schedule, but a week into the season, and you can say that in that week, the best player in the NHL has been Mark Stone and the best defenseman in the league so far has been Shea Theodore. Would that be fair? Well, why wouldn't it be fair? They've been spectacular. And we just saw Alex Petrangelo scores first as a night on uh, on Wednesday. Nice shot. Wrist shot. Lost that is stick bothered from behind. John here off the post. Trickle in. It's cooking. But the the one guy that I keep coming back to as well is Mark Stone, who if you're a coach at any level, like, you know, there are just some guys that as a coach you say, play like him, you know, just go to this game and watch this player and do what he does. Mark Stone's that guy or one of those guys. And there's a handful of them. There's another one coming in Montreal by the name of Nick Suzuki, by the way. Like he just he is just that coach's dream. Kids go watch how this guy plays. He's not the fastest by any stretch of the imagination. Doesn't have the hardest shot. Like when you just break down individual skill set, nothing about Mark Stone is going to leap off the page at you. But shift in, shift out, where he plays, how he plays, what he does, what he sees, how he reacts. I know we always talk about Patrice. Bergeron as oh just as close to a perfect player as possible. Stone's kind of the same thing, but on the wing, is he not? Well, first of all, I think anybody who gets a star of the game and waves to the crowd, even though there's no <laughs> fans in the building, yeah, deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, I feel bad for Theodore. I put in the blog that he played the most minutes in the first week without having a goal against five on five, 61 minutes. And then last night, Arizona scored when he was on the ice. Okay, so here's my prediction for the Norris Trophy. So I'll rescind that now. I'll take that uh, I'll take that away. Anything else from the, the first week around the NHL free? Should we uh, hit a quick break and then come back with some Ask 31s? Let's do that. Let's give some audience participation. All right. Over to you guys and gals next on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Was that just because it's habit, or were you thinking, you know what, people are watching at home. Like, I'm going to wave. Give me the thought process of the wave. Well, I actually waved to our two play-by-play guys, which is Shane. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I got some boys. Focused, so they didn't even wave back. 
Oh, that is too good. That well, was you know, a serious wave, too. Was, well, you know, there's not many people in the building. I mean, maybe the guys in the booth, you know, they yeah. want some acknowledgement. They Why want to not? feel like they're not alone out there. And uh, like a true captain, making That's everyone right. feel included right. uh, in the moment. Okay, Elliot, before we get to a couple of Vast 31s, I want to get your thoughts on more so comments than game because there really wasn't much happening in the game that we did nationally on Wednesday. Yes. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers. It's a 3-1 to one victory for Edmonton in a game where nothing really happened and there was no one there to see it outside of people that were watching on the magic eyeball and there was an interesting couple of clips afterwards one from austin matthews and one from head coach sheldon keefe as well when you go to the pre-scout obviously like we key in on those two guys uh they're extremely dangerous two of the top players in the world but uh i don't think uh you know, we can't get away from our game too. I mean, you know, we, we got to go out there and play our game and try to produce offense. Uh, we got to play to win, not, not play to contain you guys. So, I mean, if you don't play a little bit safe against this team, they're going to embarrass you like they did the last time they were in here. Elliot, how do you react to those two comments? This is one of those things where you have to really watch it. When you see it transcribed on Twitter, you're thinking, uh-oh, what's going on here? And then you watch the way Matthews actually says it. He's got the same expression he usually does. It's not like he's angrily saying it. It's more like an observation as opposed to a critique. But when you read it on Twitter, it reads like a critique. So initially, I was like, DEFCOM 5. <laughs> And then when you look at it, you realize it's not like that. I'm sure Keith and Matthews will talk about it. But what I think it is interesting is it, it shows, you know, that kind of generational or position change in the game. Like the players just want to play, right? And they want to go out there and they want to just, they want to do what they can do. They want to unleash their skill. They want to go for it. And the coaches are like, you know what? We got to win. Same thing as Edmonton. Like you don't think that Dave Tippett was looking at all those guys and saying, "Hey guys, we're we're one and three here. Do you want to win or do you want to play fun?" Oh, all you had to do was look at how much Edmonton was collapsing. Oh yeah, go look at at uh, shot charts, like heat maps of where the Maple Leafs were shooting from. There was nothing in front of the net. This was all Edmonton collapse around the net. Yes, and also don't forget, what did you start the show with last night? Uh, the Stars, Matthews versus McDavid. McDavid's goal on Riley. Well, okay, so this is what I want to get to. And hearing Sheldon Keefe's comments, did the Maple Leafs play scared because of what happened last January 6th? That was a 6-4 Edmonton win, by the way, over the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we all remember what happened with McDavid on Morgan Riley. And that's exactly what I think is go what it was, is they said we can't, and Keith made that comment, you know, we got embarrassed last time. I understand what coaches have to do. Like after, like I said, after seeing the two quotes, I don't think it's as big a deal as it potentially could have been. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I got to tell you, like, I was disappointed in that game. You know, I thought it was really interesting. Like John Buccagross of ESPN is obviously a huge hockey fan. He sent out in all caps, this game stinks or whatever he tweeted last night. Well, hang on, hang on, pause on that. That's like two Canadian teams on NBC 
which is unique. I mean, the hook on that one is, of course, McDavid versus Matthews. And it's Matthews. two of your showcase players. Yeah, it's wonderful. And it was terrible. Like, what an awful way to showcase these two players and these two teams in the United States. It was a terrible game. And you know, Jeff, like, we're sitting there in the intermissions, and we're struggling for stuff to find to talk about. And in a game like that, you shouldn't feel that you're struggling for things to talk about. Tough night. No, the hardest the hardest thing should be, what are you going to leave in the green room? Like, oh, we didn't get to this. Oh, we didn't get to that. Like, normally when we get back when we're offset, when we go back to to Lotus to to watch the uh, the next period. We're saying, oh, we didn't get to this. Let's see if we can get it in the next intermission. We didn't have that conversation on Wednesday night, Elliot. <laughs> that uh, that didn't happen. That was empty the tank and, and get back uh, and get back to the booth. Uh, okay, so time for some hashtag Ask Thirty Ones as we conclude the podcast this week. Uh, this comes from Michael. You've talked about this before. Uh, American Thanksgiving has always been the date looked at in the season where teams in the playoffs by then generally don't drop out. If it's even possible, what date would that be this season? I'm looking into that. I'm trying to draw a comparison. I am working on it. Thanksgiving is usually closer to 20 games for a lot of these teams, you know, 15, 20. So I think you just have to do the math, but it's going to be really hard this year with games getting canceled and things like that. So I don't really have a good answer for you, but I think you just have to kind of prorate it. Okay. From Alexander Hanneman. I hope I pronounced that right. Hashtag ask 31. How will Edmonton handle their current goaltending situation? Are they linked to any goalies? I think Edmonton's looked around. I heard they looked around. You know, we reported about Jimmy Howard. Um, that obviously isn't going to work. The tough thing is the quarantine, right? If you acquire someone from outside of Canada, they have to go through the quarantine. Like one story I heard about Grossnick was when they had a claim in for Dell, although they didn't get him, they were actually really good to Grossnick. They called him and told him not to cross the border and wait to find out if they got Dell or not. Hmm. That way it would actually help Grosnick in case they didn't keep him and he had to go back on waivers. You know, one of the other things too is I'd heard a rumor they called Arizona about Ranta. And what I was told was, you know, it was just kind of like a fishing, but it's dollar in, dollar out on the cap. And yeah. it wasn't really a move Edmonton could make. So I would say, Alexander, that they've looked into just about everything but the unique situation of this year makes it very difficult on them. I do have to wonder when Skinner or someone else is going to get a start here. I mean, how uh, Koskinen, I give him credit. He's competing. He knows they need him. Oh, yeah. But at some point in time, someone else is going to have to get a game. Uh, from Travis Duncan, this is something I think that a lot of fans, specifically Quebec fans, have wondered about. Do the COVID-19 times financial strains on the NHL clubs increase or decrease the likelihood of relocation to Quebec City? Hmm. I don't know about that. Jeff, I do think that this situation is going to have long-term ramifications on the league. And if there ever was a situation where a team would need to move, this could definitely exacerbate that. And, you know, like we've talked about it. If ever the, the second Toronto team is going to happen, it's going to be in the aftermath out of this. I have just always wondered for Quebec City, what will the effect be on the Montreal Canadiens? Can the Montreal Canadiens handle financially a second team in Quebec? That's always been my question. 
From Coach Josh, hashtag S31, could we see training camps shortened moving forward? I think that's a great question. The thing is, like, teams make money on exhibition games, right? Some. Some of the big ones sure do. Yeah, you're not paying players, and hey, look, there's a lot of people here. If we don't finish playing the Stanley Cup final until, what, July 9th, Mm -hmm. I could definitely see next year's camp being shortened. It's a great day. (laughs) (laughs) um okay a couple of more here i actually i i I have the answer to this one from craig smith weird question are the refs whistles is this the craig smith of the boston bruins no no different this is a craig sm zero four zero zero six four four three that could still be craig smith this sounds like a bot uh it's a pretty sophisticated question for a bot weird question are the refs whistles different this year and in the bubble, or is it just a lack of background arena noise? They sound different, almost like soccer whistles. There are new whistles this year. Do you know what they're called? So the the company that makes the whistles is is Fox Forty. Yes, owned by Ron and Steve Foxcroft. They have a new uh, whistle out this year. If you Google it, it's out there. It's called the Call. And it's named after the late, great former NHL director of officiating, John McCauley, whose son is, of there course, is. That's what it is. Wes yes. McCauley, and it's a peeless whistle. Now that Craig tweets this in, I'm going to listen to it. Apparently, the tone is a little bit lower than regular whistles. I don't know how that's going to translate when there are full arenas, what that's going to sound like. I don't know. I'm sure someone listening to this podcast right now is going to fill me in on it, but I just love that they have a whistle named after John McCauley, who, whether it's players from that era or other officials, just loved John. Like, how many times have you heard, man, I remember last time I uh, did an interview with uh, with Paul Stewart, and he almost broke down crying talking about John McCauley. Like, guys adored him. They really adored John McCauley. So, yeah, the new, to Elliot's point, the new Fox 40 is called The Call, named after John McCauley. Oh, let me get one more in here because I, I, I just want to tell you where this one is from. Okay, I'm not going to tell you which Twitter account tweeted this question, but here it is. Will fighting see an increase or can even the pandemic not save us? <laughs> you know where that one's from? Glenn Healy? No, at Hockey Fights. So hockeyfights.com. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> We've seen a couple. Like Wayne Simmons is certainly in a snarly mood. Yeah. We're seeing extremes here, right? We're seeing either real intense games or real opposite of that games. If I'm hockeyfights.com right now and I'm worried about having content on my site, yeah. I'm changing from hockeyfights.com to hockeyscrums.com. <laughs> Get into that game. Scrums, the new fights around the NHL. Uh, with that, we'll wrap up and we'll thank you as always for listening to the podcast and we'll thank our producer Emil Delich as always. F*** Art. That's the title of the Dirty Nils third full-length album. The trio from Dundas, Ontario ushered in the new year with an 11-track album featuring tracks such as Elvis 77, To the Guy Who Stole My Bike, and One More, and The Bill. Those are some sharp titles for songs right there, Elliot Friedman. So... From F*** Art, here's Damage Control by The Dirty Nil.
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.